great word that we have. We thank you for the preservation of it. And while we live in a different age, in an age where we don't have the tabernacle, where we can worship God scattered throughout the world and we can worship in any setting in which we find ourselves gathered with your people, be it a barn, be it a beautiful church building, or be it a house, we're able to worship you there. We rejoice in that. We rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as we look then at this ancient text today, help us to understand these things, what it meant to them, how it was fulfilled in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and what you would have us learn about you, about worshiping you, about living in your presence today as your people. Open our hearts so that we understand this word well, so that we apply it well as your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So anyone who would have been viewing the tabernacle would certainly have been wowed, amazed, impressed by the materials that were used in the construction. One writer calls them a catalog of opulence. It's really quite a stunning list of materials that are there. No expense was spared. No one said to Moses, hey, Moses, listen, I've got an idea. I've got this old tent. It's a little bit holy. The rain gets in it a little bit. But you know what? It'll be fine. In fact, if we get a couple of people who've got spare tents that they're not using, we could patch those together, and we could make a pretty big house for God. We could do that. No one suggested it, and no one said to Moses, you know, that's great, but we could probably do this on the cheap if we use some materials that were nice, but just not quite as expensive as the list of the items that have been provided for us and read in two sections that we have today. No one suggested a substitute. No substitute metals, no substitute colors of dyes that would have been a little bit cheaper, perhaps, than others. No substitute oils are mentioned. Now, perhaps you have been in buildings that have wowed you, perhaps even cathedrals, if you've had opportunities to various Uh, to visit various cathedrals around the world. I've probably mentioned this before, but when I think of that, one of the most opulent that we were ever in is in Seville, Sevilla, Spain. And it's extraordinary as you walk through it to see the opulence. And on the one hand, it makes you go wow, and on the other hand, it makes you sick somehow at the exact same time. But nevertheless, the tabernacle wouldn't have made us sick. It would have wowed us. It would have awed us with all that was used in its construction. So this week, as as we look at this and consider this list, I'm going to be focusing on the contributions themselves. Over the next two weeks, the next two Sundays at least, I'm I'm not preaching in two weeks, but but, uh, after that, we'll look at the skill given, the artistry given to the workers engaged in the process. I know that I read some of the weaving that was done in here. I'm not going to focus on that right now. We'll come to that in a week. And then we'll look at issues uh, after that of beauty and order in the construction of the temple. But this week, what I want to focus on then are these contributions. A question comes to mind. Where did Israel get this material? Where did it come from? And why did they give it after the way, after the manner in which they give it? Well, when we consider that the Israelites were a slave people now traveling through the wilderness after hundreds of years in slavery, it seems clear, though it is not stated specifically in the book of Exodus, 
that these excellent, these costly, these, these valuable materials that they're going to use to construct the tabernacle were plunder which they received from the Egyptians when they left Egypt? It's a pretty important question, and fortunately, the, I, I think Exodus itself gives us a pretty clear answer to this, or at least a description of what took place when they left Egypt. Let me read it for you by way of reminder. It's back in Exodus chapter 12. We read this. Uh, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. The, uh, the Egyptians gave it. It came from them. But in reality, this plunder actually came from the Lord because it was the Lord who had told Moses, tell the people to ask the Egyptians for this material because I am going to show them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So if you will, what happened is the, the, the people of Egypt got their payment for their slavery in a lump sum. It was kind of like one big payment at the end of their time of slavery in which the Egyptians were plundered in giving things to the Israelites as they were heading out of Egypt. Payment for services rendered. So why would they give it? Well, let's follow this because the the text is trying to answer that question in particular. Why and how does this particular giving take place? It seems clear that while God has instructions for the people about these contributions and the instructions that he has are fairly specific, the list of materials that he has are quite specific in terms of what he is requesting, he did not want this particular offering to be considered in any way a tax or a tithe. Now, even later within the book of Exodus, we would find something of what you might call a census tax that is levied against the people, and certainly in other parts of the Pentateuch, we're going to read of tithes that the people were to have brought to the Lord and given to the poor as well. But here, we seem to have a particular focus on the people not being compelled by God's command to give. It's kind of like, actually, it's not kind of like, it's exactly like what we read in the the Corinthian letter, where it says, so that you may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. That's, that's what God wants to be clear here. And thus, we read, when we, when we look at this, when you, I trust what you heard it as I read it for us, we read phrases like this throughout. Every man whose heart moves him. Those of a generous heart. Those who had their heart stirred. Those who had their spirit moved. Men and women of a willing heart. And as they bring all these things then, it is a free will offering that they bring before the Lord. Other ties would be commanded, but this one would not be. This one is to be strictly from the heart. Now, it's not that other tithes were supposed to not be from the heart, but this one was supposed, supposed to be particularly given as an expression of love, as an expression of their thankfulness and their worship of God. Now, remember, though we're a little 
out of sequence right now. They are giving these things right after the golden calf incident. While Moses was up on the mountain, they had given to Aaron for the building of the golden calf. And God had judged them and been merciful to them at the exact same time. And now, once again, they're expressing their worship of God now through the giving of these things that God has commanded them to give, their thankfulness to Him. The scripture that we read as our call to worship this morning said it simply like this, bring an offering and come before Him. That's what you do when you come before God to worship Him. That's what the Israelites were doing. They were bringing their best to God. And I don't know if you heard this or caught this or not, but especially in that second section where they were actually doing it, the word everyone is used many, many times in that section to describe it. Men and women, everyone whose heart moved them. It's said over and over again so that we have the sense that it's not just a couple, it's not just a few people in Israel who were doing the giving. It was everybody who was engaged in this process of giving. Now let's zoom out a little bit to look at this in terms of what's going on here in the context of Exodus. God has called this people, whom He's delivered out of Egypt, His treasured possession. And as His possession, His treasured possession, He took them out of Egypt and gave them treasure. Right? So they're His treasured possession. He's taking them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and He's entrusting them with treasure that He has provided for them. And now the people are to take their treasure, the treasure that God had given them as they were coming out, and give it back to the one who calls them His treasured possession. And what they are in effect doing is saying, we treasure you. You treasure us. You've given us treasure. We treasure you, our God, who has delivered us. And that's where you get, and this is what I quoted, of course, before our uh, offering this morning, that's where you get this phrase from Jesus. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus isn't just making that up. It's, It's drawn right out of this principle that's here I don't want you to think that this offering I'm requiring of it, of you. Do it with your heart. Do it if you're willing, is the command that God is giving over and over and that Jesus picks up on as He reflects on these things. The costliness of the materials is reflective of the value that is assigned to the recipient. The costliness of the materials is reflective of the value that you attribute you assign to the person who will receive your gift. This is the way it works for us. This is no, we, we understand this perfectly. The most expensive gifts that you give, you give to the people whom you love the most. Right? That, it just, and it filters down from there. Same thing is going on here as well. There's a, there's a passage in, uh, it's in, I think it's in Second Kings, where David is told by the Lord to go out and buy a threshing floor where he's going to establish an altar for the Lord. And he goes to this particular man who owned the threshing floor, 
And he says, I'd like to buy this, this threshing floor from you because the Lord has told me to buy it and erect an altar here. And the guy says, listen, you're David. You're the king. This is an altar for the Lord. I don't want you to buy it from me. I'm going to give it to you. In fact, I'm not only going to give you the threshing floor and the place to put the altar, I'm going to give you the sacrifice. Just go ahead and take it. David's response is to refuse it. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. I will buy it for the full price. For I will not offer sacrifices to the Lord that cost me nothing. Costliness, value, it's attached to what we give, and it's even attached to the, 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 the actual amount that that is relative to what we possess. And thus for the Israelites, they're giving treasure. They're giving things that are precious and are making thus the declaration that God is precious. The response of the people is, frankly, pretty remarkable. And we've seen Israel do a lot of things. Uh, the golden calf was not a very good thing that they did in chapters 32 through 34. But the response to this one at this stage is amazing. You, you can read I'll read it for you. It's found in chapter 36. Here's what it says. The, this is talk, the they that I start with here is the craftsmen. I'll just say, the craftsmen received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout all the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were constrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. That's a good response to this free will offering instructed by the Lord. Now, let's, let's now zoom far out and ask this question. That's what's happening in Israel at this time. A statement that God is valuable to us. It's worth the best. What does this have to do with Jesus? Now, we're talking about the tabernacle, and we should say this right up front. Jesus is the one, of course, whom the Scripture describes as tabernacling amongst us. John 1, 14. Jesus came and tabernacled amongst us. Jesus says of himself, tear down this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. So Jesus identifies himself as the temple while standing in the middle of the temple, and at various points in his ministry with regards to the temple, will say, something greater than the temple is here. Get your understanding straight. I am here. I am now in the midst of you. I am the one in whom all of the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. So what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, first of all, I would suggest this, that we should see Jesus for who he is. And here I want to use the words of Colossians, Colossians 1. Jesus is the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created. 
by whom, through whom, and for whom, in the uh, Nicene Creed that we confess together this morning, by whom all things were made. Now think about that with reference to this tabernacle and these materials for a moment. Jesus is the one by whom, through whom, and for whom gold, silver, onyx, acacia wood, purple, blue, linen, scarlet, and all of the other things that are mentioned in that list. He's the one who made them. And they are all made for him. That which he has created and distributed is going to come back to him as redeemer now. He is the creator of those things, and now as redeemer through the temple, he is going to receive praise for those things. So, and we're not going to turn to Genesis chapter 2. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 2, we read about land where the gold is good in that land, and other land where there is onyx to be found, trees and lumber. All of the things are being brought together here, both in the creation of God and in the redemption of God. They're now coming together. Jesus is the one who's greater than the temple. Why? Because he made all the things. All the things that you use to construct the temple, and before that, of course, the tabernacle, he's the creator of those things. We have to see him as such. Secondly, we should see Jesus again for who he is, namely, he is the most treasured possession of his Father. The most treasured possession of his Father is not any gold, silver, platinum, or anything else that is included in any list we might come up with. The most precious thing to the Father is the Son. And he gives the Son, who outstrips the grandeur and the glory of both the tabernacle and the temple. God has thus given what he treasures most to rebellious humanity in order to transform rebellious humanity into a treasured possession. It is a sort of spiritual alchemy by which rebellious dust is turned into a precious gem by the Son of God who is most precious to His Father. Led by Jesus, the most treasured possession then, the redeemed, the church of Jesus Christ, is led into a city that is described like this. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. 
and the street of that city was pure gold like transparent glass. And guess what? I saw no temple in that city. There's no temple there because the Lamb is there. The creator, the one, the one who's greater than all that. I don't want to, you don't want some old tabernacle, some old temple in the midst of that city. Because the one who is the creator of all of those things is there. The whole place is a temple. The whole place is a tabernacle. A place in which the people of God gather with that which is most treasured of God. We're led there as his people to this place. And third, we've got to understand of Jesus how he does this. And how he does it is written on the front of your bulletins. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The way to glory for Jesus and for his people who will follow him is the way of the cross. It is not the way of present grandeur. It is future glory. It is present cross. It is present suffering. Jesus had to be stripped of his riches, of his glory, of his honor. He had to be, or you could say it had to be his blood that was splattered across all of these gilded elements of the tabernacle or the temple. And frankly, his blood didn't need to be splattered on that earthly temple. It needed to be splattered in the actual heavenly one, of which that earthly one, tabernacle or temple, is just a copy. It's just a shadow of the actual heavenly one. He had to go into the throne room of God in heaven, the actual throne room of God, and splatter the blood there. For it was the only way for the cleansing to take place. The precious blood of the precious Jesus to make you and me a treasured possession. So what do you do with this? What are we to do with this? A view towards Israel's contributions and Jesus, the gift of God. Well, you expect the first answer to that question or the answer to that question to be to give, right? Give me a second, because that's a second application. That's not the first. The first thing that this passage calls us to do, this theme of contributions, is not to give. It is rather to get, to receive. Israel received treasure from Egypt and deliverance from God before, before they had this opportunity to give. The greatest treasure in the world is not hidden. You do not need to go on a treasure hunt for it. The cross marks the spot. That's where the treasure is found. Get Jesus. Receive the gift of the Father. He's the pearl. Get him. 
And thus this call from Isaiah 55 that then really resounds, of course, throughout Scripture. Come, you who have no money. Come buy wine, milk, without money, without price. It's cryptic, wonderfully cryptic, and yet we get it. You don't have anything. You have no treasures that you can use to buy that which is most precious in this world. So spend everything, all of yourself, and come and buy with nothing. It's cryptic. It keeps going back and forth over top of itself. To give all of ourselves, to buy it without price. The thing that looks looks most ugly in this world, a bloody, naked man stretched out on a cross, is the treasure and the treasure maker. The thing that looks most ugly is that which is most beautiful and that which has the ability to make all other things beautiful. Get Jesus and then give. Bring an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord. Give thanks. Be joyful in the offerings that you give to the Lord. Check your giving patterns. As we grow up, we develop patterns, habits, routines. Some of them are good. Unfortunately, some of them can become perfunctory, and giving is one of those areas. Periodically, you need to hear the Word of God to challenge the way that you're doing something. If your giving has become perfunctory for you, then shake it up a little bit. Use the Scripture to shake that up. Challenge yourself to give more, to have your giving be characterized by the kind of words that we've seen scattered throughout Scripture in the sections that we've read today, words like freely, willingly, generously, sacrificially, cheerfully, liberally, lavishly. Shake up your giving if you have found that it's gotten into a routine and you no longer think about it and it no longer costs you anything. Be a giver. Give to the church and give to those who are in need. And let everyone do it. Men and women, and I'm going to add children as well. You say, but my children don't have anything to give. They haven't earned anything. Give it to them so that they can give it. That's what God did. They didn't earn, well, I guess you could say for 400 years of slavery they did earn it, but in any case, we're working this. The Lord gave them the treasures they came out of Egypt. Give your children so that they can give and teach them to give, albeit a little bit right now. A little bit put towards the Young Lives bottle, a little bit put in the offering plate, get the principles established. And the principle is everybody gives. Everybody participates in it. It's no respecter of persons as you have opportunity. I can't close this, and I'm reluctant to read something we've already read, but I'm going to do it anyway because I can't close this sermon any better than Paul did in the end of this letter. 
And sometimes after we've had a, you know, a few minutes to reflect on it, like we have now, I'm, I'm hoping you'll hear it, because I'm going to read for us the end of 2 Corinthians 9 one more time, just these last verses, and just make a few comments as we go through it. I'm closing with this, because it's so beautiful. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Okay, that's the promise. You're heading out of Egypt. You will be enriched in every way. I'll take care of you. I will give you everything. Uh, lost my place. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, i.e., the service of giving, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this, His inexpressible gift. Let's pray together.